Good morning, dog fans. I am joined by Graham Coffee and uh, Michael Brockstein, of also known as Senator Blutarski of Get the Picture. We are discussing some of the news kicking around uh, the athletic department and butts mirror while we wait for some football news. But we uh, gonna we are going to talk on some football. But first, um, we're going to touch on the discussion that's been, you know, that Seth Emerson has reported since the weekend that Coach Pierano is going to be leaving the University of Georgia um, as track and field coach, leaving quite a legacy. Uh, He's won both men and women national championships the last few years. He's brought in a uh, somewhat of a celebrity, uh, Matthew Bowling from uh, from Texas as a sprinter. Um, it brought a lot of excitement and a lot of pride to the University of Georgia, but he's he's walking away. Uh, Michael, fill us in on sort of the background on this and what you understand it to be, and also touch on what uh, Seth has, has reported. Well, bottom line, um, as I like to say, there there are two priorities at, at Butts Mayor, and the, the first is money and the second is football, and they're fairly closely linked at this point, which is – you know, in a management way, that's kind of lucky. Um, and, you know, bottom line, Georgia has been a football school historically. That That's just the way things are dealt. The other problem, and it's something that Seth has uh, touched on quite a bit, and I totally agree, is that we've, Butts Mayor and the athletic director, uh, you know, going back to McGarrity, it's never, strategic planning has never been a strong suit, or I'm not even sure it's ever been even a priority. And so, Capital projects in particular seem to get addressed on a catch as catch can basis or, you know, you know, maybe it's even a squeaky wheel getting grease kind of thing. My understanding right now is the the top capital priority outside of whatever they do with football is upgrading the tennis facilities, which is something that should have been done a decade ago. And I think all the uh, the embarrassment of the NCAA, you know, walking away from doing prestige tournaments in Athens, considering, you know, McGill had done such a fantastic job promoting that has been a real embarrassment for the school. And so now they're finally taking some belated attention and trying to clean that up. Well, so to back it up just a little bit. So for the guys that don't know, uh, Pierano wanted and was promised um, a new facility, an indoor facility that would, that would, you know, bring talent and also, uh, you know, meets to Athens and it doesn't like it's going to happen. So he's leaving. Right. Is that how we understand the situation? And you're telling us that not only is is it not imminent, but there are many other facilities that are going to be upgraded and uh, before we can touch on track and field. I don't know that he's even been promised a facility. I mean, my my understanding is that what when they they won the na- the national championships in 2018 and he was in the middle of a five-year contract and i will also say this he's one of the better paid coaches in athens i mean he's not at kirby smart's level or crean's level but he, for a non-revenue sport he's paid pretty well the school simply wanted to uh, to keep him happy by extending his contract and he refused to to agree to do that uh, he's working on a one-year contract right now that's all he was willing to do what he's been hammering is that he wants the facilities because he thinks that it helps promote the program and promote the school. And they're just not prepared to give him what he wants. And so basically he's saying, if you're not going to give me the facilities, I don't see any point in staying. Um, Graham, that's basically where it's at. Graham, what do you, what do you think of that as, as a, as a writer and follower of, of Georgia sports? I mean, you know who he is, but 
What does it matter? To, what do you think it matters to the average fa- football fan? I mean, we are a football school. Uh, and uh, what do you think? I mean, I don't think it matters at all to the average football fan. That's why he's not going to get the facility and he's probably ultimately going to leave. Um, what matters to the Georgia football fan and the, the you know, the, influent, the influential Georgia football boosters tends to get done in Athens, but this is not something that falls onto that radar. Um, $20 million is definitely a lot of money for uh, a non-revenue sport. Um, at the same time, when you invest in a non-revenue sport on that level, kind of like what, what Michael was referring to with the tennis program in Athens for so many years, uh, you can you can become kind of the premier destination. You can also bring events and publicity back to the university that'll, you know, make that money back over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's where we are as a athletic department. There's one thing that matters and that's football. Uh, but I think more importantly, the reason the athletic department is in that spot is because that's where, we are as a fan base at Georgia right now is football is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that's cared about by, you know, the vast majority. Um, And until there's some sort of emotional investment or pride taken in some of these other activities and sports, you're not probably going to see any sort of significant investment and you're probably not going to see any sort of significant standards for the coaches, which is why you have Tom Crean doing what he's doing well, without consequence. And so you don't think there's any trickle down effect of the new AD Josh Brooks coming in as first, you know, he's got, you know, uh, but we're going to touch on basketball a little bit, but he's got a basketball program that's not doing too good. And he's got a track and field program that is doing really well. And, and he's going to let him walk. Is that, you know, so does it does that say anything about just sort of like the athletic department as a whole that maybe the average fan can say, well, you know, maybe this this should matter a little bit. You know, we, we talked about the prestige and all that sort of thing. But do you think that has a trickle down effect to, you know, other you know positions that, that the fan might care about, whether it be basketball or or women or gymnastics or any of those other things that, that if football's that important that, you know, it, it could trickle down and possibly hurt football down the road do you think there's any any Uh, chance of that i don't think so i mean i think if kirby smart was winning national championships you know i mean short of 10 million dollars a year or what saban's getting but i mean like i think if he was winning you know one every other year he would probably be paid that at some point down the road i mean i i don't think the the spending commitment is equivalent between football and all these other sports on campus. I mean, Georgia spent $3.7 million alone on, on recruiting, you know, in, in 2019. So that was, that was kind of my point on Twitter was that, you know, Kirby, you know, and I think uh, you, you talked about it in your blog, Michael, that, you know, he got a, uh, you know, a blank, not a blank check, but you know, his recruiting budget was signed off without any, and it was $3.7 million and 20, all of that is huge money, but, a, a you know a facility like that that can last for decades at 20 million to keep a coach happy seems like a pretty small price to pay when the athletic department is doing well Had, talk about some of the numbers that you i mean if you don't follow michael on on, on his blog get the get the picture uh i think it's on the screen but 
he does a great job of talking about sort of the the workings of Butts Mirror and sort of understanding how it all comes together. Is there is there money issues that maybe that that we don't know about, or is there anything you want to talk about that why that twenty million dollar price tag isn't even going to be touched by Josh Brooks at this stage in his his career? I wouldn't call it a money issue. I'd probably call it a spending philosophy. Basically, um, in terms of big ticket stuff, Georgia's got one way. Even this is even true with football has got one way of paying for things, and that's basically announce a project and step and tell the donors to step up and pay for it. I mean, that's basically how the big football things got done. Georgia didn't pay for those things out of just its ordinary operating income. It, it basically encouraged donors to step up. And what I would say is that if any other program in Athens could get the same kind of donor support, Josh Brooks would be happy to sign off on it and green light whatever the heck donors wanted. I'll give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about in terms of motivation and priority, and it's Tom Crean. I mean, we're all sitting around here looking at what just happened and screaming about, why don't you just go ahead and pay that $7 million buyout? That's not going to happen. That's anathema. I mean, bottom line, the program's in a ditch right now. I mean, you can argue whether Crean's figured out a way to get it out, but there isn't a coach, there isn't a coach after the – after the roster imploded, there's not a coach in the country that was going to come in and, and dramatically change the team's fortunes this year. And once you start with that, the math is, do I want to spend $7.2 million on a buyout now or wait a year and have it cut in half? That's, yeah. that's Georgia. Now, if you go back and look what happened to Crean when things imploded in Indiana, do you know what happened there? Donor stepped up and wrote an $11 million check to get his ass out of blooming. <laughs> Stroke that check. Yeah, there wasn't even any hesitation. I mean, basically, if they had if they hadn't have done it, they would have ridden the ad's ass out of town too. They they were just you know there was a motivation there for it. And so, if there's ever a similar motivation here, if somebody wanted to step up and write a twenty million dollar check for the track and field program to keep him here, they Brooks wouldn't have a problem with that at all. That's that's a great point because I'm looking at this and I, I I'm I don't see the balance sheet but I I understand and see the numbers of a balance sheet it just seems like oh they've got money why not spend it and I guess that's not real I mean Josh Brooks you know manages all of that but he doesn't he doesn't it's all got to run through those those the he process exactly. he, he doesn't he doesn't control the purse spring correct the purse string so that's I mean there it is you you've said it well, and somebody's got to write a check and they're not going to come out of their reserves to to uh, keep Piano there so and don't don't yeah. don't forget they just got handed a twenty three million dollar check from the conference yeah. I mean they literally have money if they want to do this they could do it tomorrow but it's just not the way they operate well, well it's also I mean do you think Brooks this early in his tenure is kind of still in a position where it's like, you know, he, if he's, I mean, I think any athletic director only has so many matches to burn, so to speak, in terms of going to the the boosters and, and asking for, for these types of things. But it's like, I mean, Brooks is, is really early on as, as AD, like, do we feel like he's still kind of uh, in a, a position where he's, trying to tread lightly or do you think that if this was something that was a priority to him or well uh, keep in mind a couple things keep in mind a couple things first off he's an insider he's been in athens for a while so he he sure. knows the temperature of the boosters and the rest of it and as seth pointed this out in the column he wrote uh yesterday the day before brooks likes the track and field program he's i think he's got a kid who runs track and field uh, oh, wow. so, so it's not like he's disinterested but again bottom line here is if there's no, if there's no booster support for it, 
it's just not the kind of thing he's going to, you know, put his neck out on the line to, to support. It's, there's just not the, the issue for it there. And again, what's, what's driving Butts Mayor, like I said, is, is, is money number one and football number two. So unless you can check one of those two boxes, there's just not going to be any kind of immediate sense of urgency about dealing with something. Well, you, you touched on the basketball and I, I mean, anybody that follows me on Twitter knows uh, my stance on Tom Crean. Um, but you know, that is, we do have some good news because, uh, Aaron cook from Gonzaga who played some significant minutes for that final four team has committed to Georgia. He, uh, we've lost a ton of, I mean, it's well-documented on the players that have exited the program, but he's brought in some guys, but I mean, again, to your point about the money it's like, I, as much as a, as a critic as I was of Tom Crean, I never thought that number one, it was feasible to do the buyout and you know maybe if McCarty were still there he could go to bat for that money but with Josh Brooks coming in COVID all those issues uh that wasn't going to happen so as critical as I've been I realized that that's just not that's throwing good money after bad money at this point he's going to get a year is there any hope that do we do we think that that Tom Crean's just going to figure this out and he's got these transfers um Aaron Cook and um uh and then but what what are, how what again bring it back to football? Do you think the football fan really cares outside of the six or seven people I blow up on Twitter every time something? I happens? think I think Cream has got and this is the other big difference between basketball. I'm gonna really hit you today. Now we can talk about playoff expansion if you want to, but the, <laughs> the one, one big difference in coaching expectations right now is Kirby Smart's got to look at cracking a four team field. All Cream's got to do is is basically nudge his team up to being what the 68th best team in the country to get into the play-in. I guarantee you, if you can associate NCAA with Georgia basketball after the season, he's back. Yeah, oh, yeah. that is an incredibly low bar that he's got to cross. Well, if he, if he gets lucky on the mix of players, who knows? Jump in, Graham, because I know you got. Well, I, I mean, you're right. You're definitely right. If he if he makes the NCAA, he's back. So, but. Uh... <laughs> Just judging judging by where the talent that he had on the team last year has ended up, like Kansas, Kentucky, you know, like all these Arizona, guys are Arizona. Auburn, Auburn, the Auburn, Auburn guys. Are, yeah, so, Auburn hurts. Like what I see is a guy who, you know, good coaches, they take the talent on their team and they they make the sum of those parts more talented than the individual talent that each of those guys have. Kareem has kind of done the reverse and taken a bunch of really talented guys and made them not very good uh, when you put them all together. So I, I don't think that we'll be seeing Georgia in the NCAA tournament. And I would love to be wrong about that. Like if he comes in and, you know, takes us to a good season this year, then I'll be as happy as anyone about yeah, it. I, that's right. I, I'll have a lot of crow to eat, but uh, <laughs> not, as much as me. Not, yeah. not as much as not me, not as much as you, but <laughs> I mean, as far as the average football fan caring about it again, like if this kind of thing was going on in the football program, you were having a mass exodus of star players and you were coming off of hell. I don't know. Three, three straight seasons. Now, I guess it's been where you, have underperformed the guy that got fired uh, to bring you in and, and you're making three times what the guy who got fired before you was, what Fox was. I mean, he'd be gone. But again, the, well, the point I, continues to be that nothing matters like football matters. And 
there's not the fan standards for basketball. And until there is, I don't know that Georgia will ever have a, a good to great basketball program on any consistent basis because there's not. I, th- I think it, I think if he come if he makes the NCAA tournament, there's no doubt. Yeah, I think it would be poor decision not to bring him back at that point. But the the season that I fear is the, you know the the you know just over 500 in the SEC, maybe an NIT. You know, but what do you do there? What does a young AD do there, where um, he he's got progress going? He's you know he's under contract for another year. That's that's the kind of the thing I fear is that this contract that that Greg McGarity wrote was so over the top and I mean, so front loaded that it was going to be hard. I mean, we're not going to, and it's brought in one year after three bad years. That's the one I, that's the, that's the season I fear is that we see progress, but yet not enough to really believe, but an NCAA birth would make me actually totally change course. So uh, yeah. Let's not forget Crean's taking basketball teams to the NCAAs. It's not like it would be, it was not going to be a first thing that ever happened. I mean, you make a good point, Josh. I mean, the, the real problem that Brooks has got here is that McGarity negotiated a lazy, terrible contract with Cream. He wasn't bidding against anybody. Cream was out of a job at the time and basically handed him the keys to the kingdom. And so, you know, Brooks is stuck managing a, you know, a no-win situation. I Like I said, there's a lot of things I can be critical about, but I, I don't have a problem defending Brooks letting – come back for another year it's no 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 other way to go really no there, right. there is no way to go it, we're in in for a diamond for you know 3.2 million dollars yep. at this point so okay let's talk some football um you know a shot i want to just can praise you i mean it was when we talked to before the g-day game you said we we were all questioning what our secondary was going to look like and who was going to play. And you, you said it, Michael, that we were not going to see our starting secondary on that Saturday, and which clearly is not the case. You know, we knew Tyke Smith was going to come, but he had not, was not, uh, was not around to play in the G day game. Since then we've got turnage from Alabama and um, Darian uh, Kendrick from um, the, the, the kid that was dismissed from Clemson is, is sounds like, I'm going to be coming to Georgia. So let's talk about our secondary and the as as the portal takes away of our basketball program seems to be bringing to the football program. Graham, talk to talk talk to us sure. about our <laughs> secondary. No, I mean I think you know you start looking at this a little bit, and I mean Lewisine and Christopher Smith are both proven players in my mind. I mean if you go and look at the the PFF grading and lots of other evaluators in terms of how Christopher Smith has played and just the tape that we've watched on our shows. Um, you know, he finished the season on, on a really high note and was, was covering as well as anyone in that secondary at the end of the season and in the bowl game. So I, I think that you have a known commodity up the middle there. Um, and, you know, you add Tyke in at star, you have another known commodity um, it, with with Kendrick. If you if, if Kendrick comes in as one of those wide corners, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a, a projected first round draft pick on on some of the the 2022 mock drafts right now. Like you're talking about a very talented corner, a former five star player that had three years in Clemson's program. So one, all of a sudden, one, year, one year as a receiver, by the way, the guy's got great hands. Yeah, that too. I know. Um, and I mean, that would be nice because we haven't really had that that guy with sticky hands in the secondary in a while. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if, if all of a sudden you're looking at uh, a battle between 
Ringo and Speed and and maybe Kimber and whoever else, uh, maybe an Island Green or uh, one of these these young freshmen coming in for that last wide corner spot. I think you can live with that. I think having you know that one spot in the secondary that's maybe a question mark is a lot better than having three or four. So I mean, if if that's the case, honestly, and he comes in, I think it it raises the ceiling for Georgia quite a bit and probably raises their prospects significantly in that Clemson game, just not having an experience all over the field. What about you, Michael? Where are you I'm going to give you my latest unified theory of Kirby Smart's roster management. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I think that the LSU uh, SEC championship game was a, a defining moment for Kirby in terms of realizing I can't keep running the same offense forever. And I think he had the same light bulb go off after the Florida game last year. And I, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't help that we had injured players, particularly LeCount being out of the game. But I think what Mullen did a good job of exposing was Georgia simply didn't have six or seven guys in the defensive backfield that could control a modern pass oriented spread attack. And right. I think Smart decided that had to get addressed. And I think it's I think that actually started on signing day because Georgia left a couple of spots on the table. They didn't sign the full amount. They signed 20. To me, that was just I think I said this last time we talked. I think that was a signal that Kirby intended to do some diving into the portal to to basically address that stuff. And so I think the big thing with Kendrick and also the kid from Alabama is he's trying to make sure that he's got six or seven, maybe even eight guys that he can, you know, rotate in there with some degree of confidence. They're going to be able to shut things down, like uh, running that damn uh, um, wheel route out of the backfield. Yeah. I mean, there's just not, <laughs> they just didn't have enough bodies to basically combat it. Mullen kept flipping around till he found the way to, you know, attack it. And I think Smart's decided I'm not going to have my pants pulled down like that again. So I think that's the – as much as I think, yeah, Kendrick's a very good shot at starting, I think the bigger thing here is that Kirby is doing what he can to shore up overall depth. It's not that guys like Ringo aren't going to be able to play, but there's a lack of experience. And I think that's something where the more bodies Kirby's got to play around with and juggle and fit into the puzzle, the better he, the better he's going to be and the happier he's going to be about it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, I mean, I think that with – Turnage and and some of these guys you're talking about and, and you shared the the show we had done on Sunday with with Nathan but like kind of getting to a defense where you can legitimately have six DBs on the field is a a big leap forward for Kirby Smart and I mean that's that's where that Florida game broke down last year right like it wasn't a versus the star or when the safeties came into coverage it was when Jermaine Johnson was you know hooked up on a running back who came out of the backfield and lined up lined up in the slot or something like that. Like that was where the breakdown kind of happened. So yeah. Remember remember when Monty Rice had to cover uh Waddle? Waddle. And and Monty actually did a pretty good job on that play, but there's always something you can do. Yeah, yeah. And I mean I think that's and that's what's interesting about this Clemson game. Kind of, you know, I I was looking at some some of their Notre Dame highlights last night. Uh, kind of trying to figure out what they're going to be with uh, Ungalele under under center for those guys is, is interesting because I don't know that he's a the full spread pick you apart guy. I mean he's he's a great quarterback with a great arm. It's just I don't know with his the ability he has with his feet if that's how 
they want to run it or it, it'll be interesting to see what's going on there because I don't think they're really going to be one of those teams that's coming out and going five wide on every play. I think they're still going to try and run the ball with some, some consistency and significance. And if that happens, that's probably a blessing for Georgia. I think Georgia matches up better versus that than they do these, these widespread passing attacks. But if Georgia's going to win a national title at any point, they have to be able to stop that. And that's probably what they're going to see, you know, if, if and when they get to the SEC championship against Alabama, they're going to see those types of sets, and, and the same will happen if they have to play in Oklahoma or in Ohio State or go on down the line. Well, do you do you think that these additions, and maybe there's even more room for another secondary, that it's going to hurt um, a little bit down the road with some of the talent that he's recruited, number one, that may be put out by not getting some playing time they thought they might have gotten this year with the veterans coming in and also maybe some guys that he wanted to bring in. Do you think that this sort of turnover and this portal, uh, can, you know, additions can be subtractions for long term? Um, is there any there any is there any thought to that that you guys have? Well, keep in mind, first off, I think they lost more players in the offseason this year than they expected. I mean, they, they knew they had kids going to the NFL, but I think I don't think they were expecting Major Burns to walk out. And I think they were a little they were a little surprised about Stevenson as well, though. You know, again, I heard there was some homesickness there, but I, I think they I think Kirby lost more kids out of the secondary than he thought he was going to. So I think that's part of what this portal scramble has been about as well, that uh, what he was looking to fill got even a little bit deeper. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we've got a lot of talent there, and it would be a shame to to lose some of it. But also I know that, you know, everything, especially on the offense, is is primed and ready to to compete at the highest level. And, you know, Kirby clearly doesn't want to take any chances on a young a young secondary, like all the points you guys brought up. And um, uh, is there like, – winding it down a little bit, I want to open it up. Is there anything that, that you guys want to talk about that that, that um, you haven't got a chance yet or you want to shout at anybody or yell at anybody or <laughs> or uh, do do whatever you want? You know, this, this is your, uh, your, your Thursday morning playpen. What do you <laughs> – Well, I, I'll take – I'll take – I knew it. Um, that was low-hanging fruit. <laughs> man, you know me too well. Um yeah, no, I, I think that we've entered a new uh, a new era of lazy Kirby smart takes that like we have gotten to a level uh, previously unforeseen with just every time I flip on like a national college football podcast, it is, you know, just some take about like I, I heard a take a few days ago. I won't say the podcast, but like basically because Georgia's taken – Kendrick uh, or interested in Kendrick. It, it was just this incredibly like quick leap by three people that were like, Oh yeah. So, you know, George is good with character issues and, and, you know, Dabo's not going to put up with that. It's like, well, Dabo had the guy on his roster for three years and apparently, you know, he was dealing with a, a sick child and all this stuff. Like there's just no context at all behind any of these like scorching hot takes. And we're getting, Dan Mullen being a better game day coach. Dan Mullen's a much better play caller than Kirby Smart because you know offensive Smart, play caller. Yes, because he's yeah. been an offensive play caller. Because he's been an offensive play caller. But it's like as you pointed out, Josh. Like how many times has Kirby Smart had a bye week and come into the biggest game of his season and had to burn two timeouts on the first series because the the wristbands didn't match up I mean, on his offense. Yeah. So it's like. It, 
there's not like this lack of organization or or planning or philosophy or any of this stuff going on at Georgia. And the thing that pisses me off the most about this is like if you took the time to kind of read into what was going on and pay attention, there is a lot of signs of the evolution of, you know, Kirby Smart as a head coach and God knows he made some decisions that frustrated me early on in game. And there was some, some philosophy on offense that frustrated me early on, but all signs point to that he has learned from those things and he has continued to evolve. And I think that's all you can ask for from a, a guy who's, you know, still a young head coach at his first head coaching job. And so, I mean, the last one that like, I'm still hearing is people like speculating that Kirby's not going to let JT Daniels throw it around and if you watched Georgia football at all last year, you saw route concepts all over the field that were a massive evolution from the year before under James Coley. You saw wide receivers running wide open all the time and spread formations. You also saw a quarterback that could not recognize those open guys or get the ball to them until JT Daniels came in and then the whole thing, you know lit up so that's that's my soapbox i'm tired of lazy national media people saying lazy <laughs> takes and if you guys are gonna do your you know do your whole thing like slam kirby smart thing then then do some research and have some facts behind it because you don't and they're out there if you want hey, hey graham was one of the three people in that podcast uh kirk herb street no, it wasn't. Why? I haven't heard anything from him. Did he oh, I, mean, I just keep, I just go back to the infamous Mark Rick has lost control. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, totally part of the reason you get that particular take, we brought it on ourselves because we'd like to think, or we used to like to think we were kind of holier than now when it came to, you know, we, we sure. walk in the, you know, we walk with the angels in terms of running a program. We, we like to win the right way. So, you know, when the when the perceived blemishes appear, there's always people that just love to jump on stuff like that. But, no, I agree with you overall. I mean, I t- told you this yesterday. I mean, some of it's laziness. Some of it is just, you know, we live in a, in a world where social media is all about clickbait. And so if you can get if you can get people to jump and respond, you've uh, you, you've had a success for the day. So I think that's some of it, too. But, you know, bottom line, when it, when it comes down to it, you know, at SEC Media Days, Georgia's going to be the overwhelming pick to win the SEC East. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Vegas odds, I mean, Georgia's, Georgia's considered one of the top five programs in the country. So, I mean, the, most of that stuff you just kind of brush off and realize it's idiots trying to manipulate a situation and just let it go. Have you seen any uh, any early season lines or, or win totals that uh, you find enticing? I'll, I'll tell you what I I'll tell you what surprises me in a non-Georgia setting is – I obviously think LSU is going to be better this year than a lot of a lot of people who I think are pretty smart do, and I, I'm just I'm surprised why that's the case. I mean, they're talent wise, they are loaded, and right. I, I mean, Orgeron did the biggest thing he had to do to get that team back on the right track, and that was fire Pelini. They're not going to be any worse on defense. Their their secondary is going to be the best in the country this year. I just don't understand why people think they're going to be a seven-win team in in 2021, and that's a, what I'm seeing. A lot of the win total projections are like at seven and eight wins. I don't know if they're yeah. going to be Alabama this year, but I don't think they're going to be that bad. Well, it's interesting too because Ole Miss is seven and a half, which I don't 
I mean, you'd have to go back to the freeze era for them having a win total anywhere close to that in the in the preseason. So it's like it feels like that's what Vegas is kind of saying is, you know, maybe maybe LSU loses to Ole Miss. Did you see the post I put up the other day? Some uh, Somebody on some message board had taken uh, Bill Connolly's SP Plus and projected, and they had Ole Miss at 10-2, and and I'm like, what? <laughs> if that happens, then... Not with that defense. Yeah. There's no way. No, no. That, defense, but I mean, you that know. defense and that schedule, yeah, that's – that's yeah. I mean, Florida, Florida at nine wins, I think, is, is pretty telling. Um, you know, when you consider a team like Penn State is also at nine wins, Miami's at nine and a half on their total – Kind of where they fall in the national pecking pecking order. Washington's a nine win uh, predicted total. USC's a nine win predicted total. You know that kind of moves Florida down a peg in the in the pecking order if that bears out. So I mean, the Vegas is definitely um, not super bullish on the Gators. Well. Thank you guys both for coming in on this morning and talking some football. Hopefully we uh, gave you guys something to ride around and listen to your car or check it out on the YouTube thing that you do with the phone and everything. Uh, we're going to continue to try to, speaking of clickbait, we're trying to generate our own clickbait ourselves. So, uh, uh, no, it's been fun, Michael. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thanks. I enjoy and please follow uh, Michael Senator Blutarski on his website, uh, blutarski.wordpress.com, and follow him on Twitter at MummyPole. And um, Graham is uh, always cranking out good stuff at dogsports.com, and follow him at Dog Out West. I am Josh, also known as Dog underscore Stats on Twitter. Um, we're going to do some more of this. Michael, I hope you'll come back with us. We had a, um, you, you brought some great info, and we really appreciate your time this morning. My pleasure, guys. Always good. All Thanks, right. Michael. Go dogs. Indeed. Go dogs.